Hey, hello, welcome to Shades and Layers. This is an episode which forms part of our ongoing conversation on hair care for black women. If you've listened to previous episodes, especially season one, where we talked green beauty, it's clear that there are finally lots of choices available for black women's hair care out there. Having said that, it's also clear that it's overwhelming and it can also be a very expensive exercise to try and find out what would be good or not good for you, because let's face it, there's always a new trendy ingredient and new research, which is not so positive most of the time, um, new research emerging on the contents of our products. So this week's guest has the solution for you. So if you can just take a moment to forget Dr. Guru for a little while and listen to this interview with Dr. Shalene St. Surin Lord. Dr. Shalene is a dermatologist. She's based in Washington, D.C., and she sees in-person and remote pa- uh, patients, but also she has a hair care brand called Derm Hair Doc, and she developed it using strict green beauty guidelines. So in this conversation, she explains how to be selective when making decisions about your hair care products. Of course, this is also her personal story. So without further ado, let's hear it directly from Dr. Shalene St. Surin Lord. I'll start with the same question I asked my guests uh, at the beginning. How would you describe your work, both in terms of the practice and also the deeper meaning of what you do? That's a good uh, question. So it's funny, I've always said this, um, I think since I was in college, I always wanted to find out what my purpose was. And everybody wants to know what their purpose is. And I've always said that I have a gift, I have a talent, and um, I have a career. Mm -hmm. And all those, they complement each other. Um, But I think when you look at my work, my career, and my business, it's what is my gift? My gift is to make people feel better about themselves. And that's why my um, my tagline for Visage is look good, feel great, ascend. When you look good and you feel good about yourself, you tend to do better, you perform better. Um, and then my talent is just being able to be creative and find find ways to be creative. And in dermatology, I use that with my cosmetic procedures. And then my career is dermatology. Um, dermatology is the study of skin, hair, and nails. And I feel like I didn't just gravitate towards hair, but hair is my calling because mm-hmm. I was just inundated with hair loss patients, inundated. And all we had at one time was Rogaine and it didn't work for everyone. And mm-hmm. so then I sought to other treatments and I learned about microneedling and microneedling with um, minoxidil, which led me to PRP, which is platelet rich plasma which then led me to derm hair doc because as patients' hair started to grow, I found that the conversations at the visit, you know, the following visits were, well, how am I going to take care of my hair and what product should I use and what should I this and what should I that? And it was just taking up so much time and I would go over ingredients with patients that would bring their hair products and I'd review it with them and then I'm like an hour and a half behind yeah. on my patient schedule. That's quite a deep need for this type of uh, guidance. Exactly. And so I said, you know what? I'm a dermatologist. I'm a scientist because I did research at the National Institutes of Health and then took off a year from med school to do the national, you know, the Howard Hughes um, Medical Research Institute. I was a fellow there for a year. I said, wait a minute, I can do this. Mm. I know ingredients. Mm. I know hair. I, I have to do this. And that's where that passion for germ hair doc came in. Right. As I was developing the hair care line, well, there came the research on harmful ingredients and products marketed to um, women of color, but specifically Black women and how it was causing 
so much damage in black girls. And then it became my mission to, oh my God, I have to see what ingredients. And I'm working with the chemist. And I'm like, okay, well, we have to take this out. He said, but this is not harmful. I was like, well, you know, um, I want it to be purely natural, perform as a professional product, yet have all natural products. And every time we went back to the lab, he would say, well, you've increased the cost of your product. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd say, well, you know what? Can you put a price on health? It's like buying organic food. Can you really put a price on it? Do we get the pesticide that has a whole bunch of harmful ingredients or do we get the organic? Mm. And and so what did you take out? What did you leave in? Silicone. Even oh, though right. it wasn't a bad silicone, he was like, this is, you know, because not all silicones are bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I spoke to the chemist and he said, but this is not a bad silicone, I said, I want it out because I feel like being a board certified dermatologist, I feel like I'm going to be held to a higher standard. <laughs> right. If I'm saying that silicones are not great, I, of course, I know which silicones are bad and which ones are not bad. But the average consumer may not know. And they say, well, she just said silicones are bad and it's in her product. So I took right. out silicones. I took out phenoxyethanol. Phenoxyethanol is a preservative and it's in a lot of hair products and it's not harmful at a certain level in a certain dosage, but at higher levels in certain other products, it can cause some allergic reactions. And I had spoken to somebody else who um, started her own like skincare line in her brand, and she absolutely did not like phenoxyethanol. Um, And I think it's because her child reacted to it in a product. And so I went and I did a whole bunch of research on it. And I said, you know what, let's take it out. And he was like, it's such a tiny dose. I was like, yeah, but can we find a natural one? He's like, now we got to do all the stability over again with your natural preservative. <laughs> it was right. like, that's okay. So in the end, it took like over four years to develop this. Oh, wow. That's product. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It took over four years. But, you know, I'll be honest. I looked at it and I say, how do people do this overnight? I don't really think there's an overnight, <laughs> you know? I, I think there's always a lot of work behind it that we may not see and we may not, may not appreciate, but I can't imagine putting out this product quickly because the data is changing mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of things are happening. I stay on the EWG's website, the Environmental Working Group, mm-hmm. and I look at them and um, you know I, I read the newsletters, I sign the petitions, I advocate with them, and I support them. And it's because they're the watchdogs in making sure that bad ingredients and pesticides don't get in our foods and our personal care products. And that could be hair care, skin care, deodorant, anything. Right. And so, you know, doing that with them, it's like, okay, so now they sent me a list of 600 horrible ingredients. Okay, let's make sure that the products don't have any of these. And they didn't because my chemist was pretty good. He knows how I am and he knows that I was going all natural. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why it took that long. And I just don't know. And I said, you know, maybe I know too much. And sometimes when someone knows too <laughs> that can much, paralyze you. <laughs> it can be paralyzing when you know too much. You take one step forward and you pause and, and you take another half a step and you pause. <laughs> and at one point the chemist was like, said, Dr. Charlene, you know, it, it's really done now. It's done. <laughs> And I said, okay. And then after we did that, I just couldn't decide on a fragrance. (laughs) No. (laughs) So we went all natural on the fragrance. And I I worked with so many different fragrance houses and interviewed and did did this. You know, not all synthetic fragrances are bad and synthetic fragrances are actually good. But if you go with all natural, you're not always going to get the same scent because it's nature. It's not Mm. controllable, right? Mm. Mm. So it's going to be different from different batches and sure. do your yeah you know do your customers want that and I was like well I think my customers just want healthy <laughs> mm, mm. 
I guess, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, would you say that um, you can be classified as clean beauty creator, yes. manufacturer? Yes, yes, 100%. So when anyone looks at a Derm Hair Doc product, it is clean beauty. Mm. Um, I have stuck to the clean beauty guidelines. So we're all natural and we're clean beauty. Mm. And um, it is a labor of love. And it does take a bit more to be clean beauty. And I do believe that it is absolutely worth it. And I stand by it. Mm. Now, for anyone who's, you know, they're like, well, I've been using my hair care products and they're fine. It's not to make anyone feel bad. It's not to shame anyone. And my thing is always, look, this is a no judgment zone. Somebody may be happy with their hair care product. If it's yeah. an absolutely, you know, harmful one, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't use that one if I were you and I'll tell you why. But the clean beauty movement is one that I do believe came out of necessity and it came out of consumer education. And as yeah. our consumers and patients get better educated, they know, you know, what's good, what's not good. And it kind of holds us accountable as as doctors and skincare and hair care line, personal care line developers. It holds us accountable. It's like, look, this is what they're asking for. This is what they're advocating for. Let me see how I can do this. Let me see how I can formulate a product differently to meet these guidelines, to make people feel safer, to make people feel more comfortable. And the other thing is here, I'm a mom. Mm, and mm. and when I see the data on the toxic chemicals being endocrine disruptors, causing, you know, early breast development, early puberty, as as you know, one as a physician, it it, it's, it affects you, it was upsetting. But as a mom, I was like, oh my God, here I thought I was doing great things. I was taking care of your hair with these wonderful products. And all that goes through my mind is, oh my God, what chemicals have I exposed you to right. since the age of three? Right. And there is a certain level of guilt. But I took that guilt and I said, what can I do about it? That's what, you know, that's what led me to do this. And that's why I stay on the EWG site. And that's why I think clean beauty is important. It's because your child, the you know, you should be able to use the same hair care products because they're safe. There's a lot of information out there when it comes to hair care, particularly hair care for black women. And it is totally overwhelming. You know, how would you advise someone to be to be discerning? When, you know, they're looking up on Dr. Google about, you know, their hair care and uh, and what they should uh, look out for in uh, in their hair care products. So when you're looking at Dr. Google, I think the, <laughs> the most important thing is maybe you say that because I remember an Etsy cup saying um, I did not get my medical degree from Google or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so cute. I'll buy that. that. <laughs> I'll buy that one. And um, Dr. Google, though, has saved some lives because I've had patients who have said, you know, they, they follow the symptoms on Google and they diagnosed their own, you know, deep vein thrombosis, DVTs, which led to, to a cut in their lungs. And had it not been for Google, they would not have known to run to the, to the ER. So Dr. Google is good for something. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking on there at ingredients and I, when my patients come in with their products and they're like, but I'm using this and I'm using that and I'm using this. I'm like, okay, well, what's the first product? Okay. If it's, if it's water, it's, it's aqua or agua. Okay. That's fine. But the product that's supposed to be good, like, let's say, oh, it's supposed to make your hair grow. Well, if the hair growth ingredient is like the last one on a list of 30, I don't it's really going to help your hair grow because the concentration in that is probably so negligible. Mm. 
So that's one thing I look for. What's the active ingredient, number one, that they're telling you is active? Because a lot of the stuff that's out there for hair growth, um, a lot of times I'll look at the stuff. I was like, sweetie, there's nothing in there for hair growth. It's quite moisturizing. You can use it to moisturize your hair, but it's not going to make your hair grow. Mm. And so you want to look at the active ingredient. Is how high up on the list is the active ingredient or is it way down on the list? Number two, if it says... uh, if there are silicones in there, you want to stay away from siloxanes. Those are some of the harmful silicones. You want to stay away from phthalates. Um, that's P-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. And normally it has that in the name at the end. You want to stay away from those. And as you're starting to see a lot of um, personal care products, I've seen it on body washes, and it'll say sulfate-free, phthalate-free, paraben-free. And they're making it like uh, on the forefront of the label because those are the harmful stuff. They're trying to say, hey, I don't have any harmful stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And and that's a good thing. So you want to you wanna stay away from those. Parabens um, have been a long-time go-to preservative. But we find that parabens are one of the most, one of the biggest offenders in the endocrine um, disruptor list, on the right. endocrine disruptor list. And that's because they are hormone destabilizers. They're in everything. They're in sunscreens. Um, and then when you start talking about that, you know, when you think about putting something on your body and you're putting it all over your body, well, now you have a big surface area mm-hmm. that is covered and you're really absorbing that, right? And if you think of the hair, well, there's the hair and then there's the scalp. The scalp is yeah. porous. So yeah. What you're putting on your scalp is not only there and it's being absorbed, but it stays there. Mm-hmm. And how long is it staying there? So if you look at black women in our hair care products, let's say that I use a pomade or something and I grease my scalp with it. Well, mm-hmm. I wash my hair once a week. I wash my hair once a week. Mm-hmm. But with certain hairstyles, it's a little more challenging to wash your hair once a week. So a lot sure. of my patients will say, you know, I wash every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, and that's okay. Um, but that means that those products that you're putting on there are going to be on there for longer. And if you're washing your hair every two weeks, I doubt that you put the pomade on only once during that two weeks. Yes. You probably use it maybe three, four times, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, you've applied it a few times. The concentration is there. You've absorbed, you've absorbed it. It's staying on there. So now it's in your bloodstream. Phthalates have been found in the urine of black women. So that lets you know how concentrated it is and it's there and we're excreting it. There's a researcher out of Harvard, Dr. Tamara James Todd. She's absolutely wonderful. She's done a lot of the research on this and I'm grateful to her for her guidance and Mm -hmm. for publishing it and for speaking to um, dermatologists about it because that is when we really became aware of what was going on. Mm. So those are the ingredients that we need to look for to avoid in um, in our hair care products. And that's in leave-in conditioners, that's in shampoos, that's in conditioners, hair greases, pomades, whatever we're thinking of, and especially our oils, because oils tend to stay on and leave a little residue for a little longer. So those are pretty much the main ingredients we want to stay away from. Having said that, there's nothing that prevents somebody, and actually I recommend it, you can go to the environmental working group. They actually have a little dial Mm. (laughs) where you put in in the name of the product and the dial tells you how safe or how unsafe it is. But I think they have like, you know, more stringent requirements or um, to, to stay clean than the average person would. And that's because they're the watchdogs so they get to do that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you have to ask yourself, how are some of these ingredients legal? I ask myself that every day. 
Um, and that's the hurtful thing about it. If you look at the state of California, the state of California outlaws and bans a lot of things much quicker than the, the other states do. And I commend them for that. I mean, they have air quality issues and um, I... I'm with anyone. My heart is with them right now with all the forest fires mm-hmm. and everything. But because of their air quality, they were the first to say, well, you can only drive a certain car in California. And because they tend to be more natural, um, they tend to outlaw a lot of ingredients, certain things that are even in our gum, sorbitol, xylitol. They'll say, no, nope, we don't want that because those are harmful. Mm-hmm. Well, they're in, they're in the like sugar-free gums. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the pesticides that make it on our foods on the East Coast are banned in California. So we're like, yeah. well, if the state of California can do it, why isn't everyone else following suit? And I have to say, hey, the food industry and the other industries, they've got some powerful lobbyists. Mm. And they've got some powerful lobbyists. And if the lobbyist says, hey, you know, it's minimal, mm. it's not that much, you know, it's not going to harm anybody, you know, they're being listened to and, and, and they're being heard. And that's why we need to sign these petitions. We need to advocate and we need to take control. I think of the red number 40. Everybody's like, well, that's paint thinner. When they say, well, it's just a little bit. Well, just a little paint thinner and Fruit Loops and a child who likes their Fruit Loops and they eat it a couple of times a week for years. Well, how negligible is that dose right now? How yeah, it all adds up, that- right? Everything counts. Yeah, everything counts. And so I guess lobbyists are awesome at putting a spin on that. (laughs) That's their job. (laughs) Yeah. That's their job. But it should be illegal. It should be illegal. And I have to let you know, when I saw the data and I saw the the graph and the graph showed uh, products marketed to white women versus products um, marketed to Latinx women versus products marketed to black women, all of them had some level of harmful ingredient in them. All Mm, of them did. mm. The lowest, though, that was almost close to the bottom of the bar was that marketed to white women. Latinx women were somewhere in the middle. And then you look at the graph for black women and it was off the charts. The the curve was so steep on that one, the incline. And it was 10 times greater about than the other product. And I'm like, how does that happen? Because now what we thought was just a hair care preference, right, Mm -hmm. has now caused a health disparity. And I'm like, here we go. Another health disparity. Why are these even allowed in products? They shouldn't be allowed in Latinx products. They shouldn't be allowed in in products for white women. Shouldn't be allowed, Mm -hmm. period, because Mm -hmm. these same products, when you think of it, what about a breast cancer survivor? A breast cancer survivor does not need estrogens in their hair care products. So any way around, it's just all a bad thing. And um, I do believe that if there is a product that is known to harm, that that product should be banned, period. Oh, ethics classes. Go to the ethics class, (laughs) please. Conscious class, maybe. (laughs) Conscious class. And, you know, in thinking of others, it's like, well, okay, we understand. Um, we have to keep it affordable. Is there a way to keep it affordable and healthy? Is there a way to keep it affordable and less harmful? Because what we also don't want is, um, and I equate this to food a lot of times. I say, you go somewhere and you want the salad and you're trying to be healthy and you go for the healthy salad. You have to weigh it. By the time you weigh the healthy salad, your salad is up to $10, $13. Mm. But if you go to the drive-through at McDonald's and they're having the dollar menu or they're having something else, well, you can have that because it's a bit more affordable. Is 
it good for you? Is it the best? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. And production. so it's the same yeah. thing. It's, it's exactly mass mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a uh, yeah. It's pretty hard to reach the economies of scale when you're going all natural because ingredients are not grown like that. They are not. And now there's a um, raw ingredient shortage. Mm-hmm. COVID nineteen has caused a shortage of the uh, raw ingredients required to make a lot of products. Some of the stuff that I even use in my practice, we can't get anymore right now. And then it drives up the cost of everything. And so, you know, there are a lot of factors to consider. Um, I know what we're doing is great. I know that it's needed. I know that it, it will help a lot of people. I know it definitely won't hurt and it feels good. And it's yeah. From idea to shelf, every product has a story as unique as its founder. Up next on Shades and Layers, we get into the details of Dr. Charlene St. Surin Law's product line and the work and decisions that went into creating Derm Hair Doc. The word that springs to mind for me is holistic. Let's hear more about it. So tell me about your product line. What do you have? So my product line, um, it's amazing because we started out with one product and then got up to six and then took it down to launch with one. How did I do that? I looked at what I was noticing in, in hair and hair trends and people's hairs. So we started out with a shampoo and a conditioner, right? Why not? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a shampoo and a conditioner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And natural, great, great ingredients that a, a lot of folks um, don't have. And that's what I wanted. I wanted something different that not everybody had. Um, I like ashwagandha. I, I like, you know, chemicals, not chemicals per se, but naturals that make hair grow. Mm-hmm. So I have included a little bit of something to grow hair in, in most of my products. But mm-hmm. most importantly, Importantly, I wanted products that repaired the scalp barrier. And that was very important to me. And so we start out with a shampoo and a conditioner. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Everybody's hair is so dry. Why is everybody's hair so dry? We need to really launch with the hair mask. Mm -hmm. Then I go back. I was like, no, we're going to launch with the hair mask. (laughs) (laughs) And then we also have um, a heat protectant. Mm -hmm. And we, I chose the heat protectant because it's a spray and it's a spray oil. And I've seen heat protectants that are like um, lotions and leave-in conditioners. I I personally wasn't crazy about those. I do believe that if um, someone's going to blow dry their hair or flat iron their hair or go sit under the dryer with curlers, that we need to have a nice spray with healthy oils that'll actually leave the hair looking and feeling softer and shinier. And that's what I love about the product. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I tried my own heat protectant and I remember being in, I was in Huntington Beach, California. Pretty, pretty part of the country. Yes. (laughs) Very pretty part of the country. It was beautiful. And I was at a research meeting and I said, you know what, let me, let me try this stuff. And, and I sat there, I washed my hair, I blow dried it after I blow dried it. You know, I did a heat protectant before blow drying. I did a little bit more um, to flat iron the whole process of a black woman doing her hair. Right. And that's when I had a relaxer. That's yeah. when I had a relaxer. Mm. There was no hair on the white rug. There was no hair on the white rug. And I was shocked. Because with relaxed hair, when we think of it, we take something that is naturally coily and curled or kinky and we relax it. We break those hydrogen bonds to straighten it. Mm -hmm. It's not as strong as it normally is. So manipulations like um, heat or a blow dryer. And I think the blow dryer with the combs now, I'm not only applying heat, but now I'm adding 
mechanical damage, right? Mm -hmm. And I did that. And normally you would see hair or broken hairs in the sink. Right. I didn't see any of that. And then I go and I follow up with some more heat with a curling iron. (laughs) What do we do (laughs) right here, right? I follow up with some more heat with a curling iron because now I've straightened it and I went curly. And I did that and there were still no broken hairs. And my hair was shiny and it was soft. And I went back to the chemist. I said, I love this. He said, really? What happened? What made you say that? Because he knows what he puts in it. We talked about it and everything. I said, I have no hair on the floor and the carpet is white and it's blank. I even took a picture of the carpet. Wow. (laughs) That impressed. Because I was so (laughs) impressed. I was surprised. So I, I love the heat protectant for that. The other thing we have is we have a hair growth serum Mm -hmm. and the hair growth serum has ingredients that, you know, I've researched, you know, through um, several literature articles, several, you know, medical articles and everything that are known to grow hair. And the data was good. And I said, well, that's what I want in there. But not only does it need to be able to stimulate hair growth, but it also needs to be able to repair the scalp barrier. Mm -hmm. And here's why I'm so big on uh, reparation of the scalp barrier. Scalp is skin. Our skin is the largest organ that our body has, okay? Mm, mm. It is our protector. It protects us from pollutants. Mm. It protects us from damage, cuts, everything. So skin is important. But we treat our facial skin a certain way, and we don't give the same respect to our scalp. And Mm. our scalp does deserve respect. What happens is we take care of our hair and we neglect our scalp. And we Mm. might say, oh, I have dry, flaky scalp. And sometimes it's not just dry, flaky scalp. Sometimes it's seborrheic, which is actually inflammation of the scalp. Right. We apply oils and oils are great, but sometimes it worsens it because seborrhea is worsened by oily things. And so now the scalp barrier can become damaged. Well, how are you supposed to grow a healthy hair if your scalp isn't healthy? Right. The other thing is you want your scalp barrier to be healthy because you want less inflammation, less itching, less damage, less dryness. So you want to restore it. You want it to be as smooth as you keep your hands or your arms, because when your scalp is healthy, your hair is healthy, you're not itchy. So you're not sitting there scratching and sometimes creating breaks into the scalp. Mm. I see sometimes scabs. I can see where the nails have gone (laughs) and created and created damage Mm. and sometimes I say oh you were really itchy because you kind of dug in there a little bit yeah yeah (laughs) and sometimes people don't know they're doing it you're scratching in your sleep and you have no idea until your scalp is sore the next day so that is why scalp um, barrier repair is so important to me we want to keep seborrheic dermatitis away first you start with the gut microbiome the gut microbiome you repair that and the skin microbiome is happy and you'll see less inflammatory conditions. Well, then the skin microbiome then translates into the scalp microbiome because the scalp is skin. And that mm, translates mm. into healthy hair and healthy um, hair growth. Mm. So when I look at people and when I look at my patients and when I look at my hair care line, I took that whole approach. Approach. It's not singular. You're not separate from your hair. Your uh, mind, body, spirit, diet, and lifestyle all affect your skin and hair. Yeah. And I look at patients as a whole. And I think part of that is because I also, um, I study integrative dermatology. So my patients get a lot of that. Right. The holistic so you approach. Might, mm. Exactly. The holistic approach. So have you always wanted to be a doctor? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've always wanted to be a doctor. And I think I knew for sure at the age of eight. And I, I just knew I wanted to be a doctor. And I remember in high school, um, not, no, not high school, in eighth grade, my eighth grade teacher 
she just came up to me one day and said, you want to be a doctor, right? And I said, yeah. She said, well, you should go to this high school. She said, this is an all-girls school and um, smart girls go there. And if you want to be a doctor, you should pick that school because you're probably going to a good college. And I said, okay. She thought that it would give me a better chance of becoming a doctor. And, and that was all she wrote. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really fantastic. So you get to uh, college and um, what guides you towards the specialization? So my high school, um, you know, a small all-girls school in, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Great experience. Loved it. It was a little different. Um, not much diversity. I have a cousin who went to Howard University and he absolutely loved it. And I then decided to go to Howard University. I read about it. I looked it up. I said, you know what? This will be great. There's a lot of history here. Mm. Uh, let's go to the nation's capital. Came to the nation's capital at the time when the nation's capital was the murder capital of the country. <laughs> yes. And my parents were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> great institution. Great <laughs> <laughs> institution. And I was like, we're going to be okay. You know, um, and I came to Howard University and I absolutely loved it. It was it was an adjustment learning to be in college. What I loved about it was the camaraderie and that we all knew that we had to make it and, mm. and we had to make it and we had to help each other. And when chemistry was like really in and, and it was kicking my butt. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I had classmates who would say, no, we're going to do these problems. I'm leaving at two o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. I don't care. You're not going to sleep. We're going to do these problems because we're going <laughs> to do well on this exam. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what we're going to do. And it was wonderful. And so I just joined the pre-med track immediately. And I just knew that I was pre-med. And that was my, um, that was what I was going to do. There was never any question. And when it came time to um, apply, take the MCATs, apply to medical school and everything, I just took my mind said, you got to have a backup plan. You got to have a backup plan. And so I, you know, because medical school is extremely, extremely competitive to get mm-hmm, into. Mm-hmm. And so I had my backup plan and then it turns out that I had to use my backup plan. Mm. And that backup plan was going to work for uh, Merkin Company Incorporated. Right. Yeah. So I spent some time in corporate America and my my job was vaccine technology. So I was an associate scientist and I had the hepatitis A vaccine, MMR, and a couple of other vaccines, the pneumonia vaccine, and um, making sure that those vaccines, their quality assurance is going well. If there is anything um, that deviated even a, a dot or an ounce to test it to the wazoo to make sure it was well, like, you know, this is going to go in some kid's arm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, no yeah. pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no pressure. <laughs> So, uh, so, so no pressure, but just seeing how things are done and how things are done, that magnitude of vaccine manufacturing and seeing the whole process of research and development um, to clinical research trials, to actually producing the vaccine and then actually selling it because you have a sales force. Mm. And then I decided I wanted to go into pharmaceutical sales uh-huh. and yeah. And, and it, Mark was such a huge company. I literally, on my lunch break, went to the pharmaceutical sales, you know, manager, went to say hi. And it was like, hey, it was like, so we're here. So I just, when I was curious about sales, I wanted to know if you had any openings in Chicago, Atlanta, NBC, and that's it. So that's all, those are the only places you want to go? I was like, yeah, that's it. I just want to see somewhere different. Those are the cities I kind of like right now. <laughs> and he said, I have nothing there. I have something in New York. And um, I was like, I don't want to go to New York. I'm from New York. I already know New York. And then I get a call for an interview for a job in New York. I said, well, I said I didn't want to go to New York. 
And they were like, well, you have an interview. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> We're going. Um, I went to the interview. I took the job. <laughs> and so, so sometimes life doesn't totally go as planned, but it's great. And it's a nice ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So I take the job. And now I'm a pharmaceuticals rep, a pharmaceutical sales rep in New York for cardiovascular drugs. So mm. I've got cardiovascular drugs. And I've got one asthma drug. So I just knew I was going to be a cardiologist. So when I got into med school, I said, oh, I'm going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. Mm. And I wanted to crack hearts open and do heart surgery and save lives. I felt like this was so important. Then I got to see the hours of the cardiovascular surgeons. They had absolutely no lives. And um, (laughs) I didn't want that for myself. It was highly stressful. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, not for me. It's a beautiful art. Yeah. And then I thought about cardiology and, but guess who had the worst acne ever? Me. Oh. And yes, I did. I had really bad acne and it only got worse in medical school. And I rotated with a dermatologist in DC and she was absolutely awesome. And I saw how she was clearing people's skin and someone, it was their last visit for Accutane at the time, which is no longer produced anymore. Mm. I was like, she had acne? She said, yeah. I said, but she has no acne on her face now. She's like, no, she she was on Accutane and she's, she's, you know, she's well now. And I was like, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went on Accutane and that was it. And I knew I was going to be a dermatologist. Dr. Shalene has always been drawn to hair care. The signs that she would end up developing her own product line came early on in life and only became clearer as she was pursuing her medical career. Up next, she tells us about her journey, her superpower, and we discuss the title and possible contents of her memoir. I've always loved hair. Mm. And if I I think about it, my first hair relaxer was at the age of 11. And it was Mm. because I was going to be a bridesmaid in my aunt's wedding. And I was like, I want a different hairstyle. And my aunt was like, well, what are you going to do with your hair for the wedding? I was like, ah, let's relax it. And so that was my first relaxer. And that also became my introduction to dry hair and hair breakage Mm -hmm. and hair damage, um, which started my journey into living at the beauty supply store. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so, <laughs> the, so black was, uh, the black woman's journey. The black woman's journey, yes. Black woman's second home, the beauty salon, the, you know, not really, but I'm joking. But um, you spend a lot of time at the uh, beauty supply store and it can become overwhelming. And what do you choose? What do you not choose? Okay, I want this gel. And that gel was in style then. I remember Let's Jam, it was great. It was in style then. And some of the products were awesome. They have a great line, but some of them weren't the best for my hair or this one was drying. And you find out it was trial and error. Mm, Very expensive pursuit. Very expensive. Very expensive. I remember um, my French teacher one time, I I went to her house. I brought all my hair products because um, I was there in the morning and I wanted to fix my hair. She said, you look like a chemist. (laughs) (laughs) Great really prediction. took over her bathroom sink. <laughs> exactly. Great prediction. <laughs> and I didn't realize how many products it took for me to do my hair. And it depends on the hairstyle too. Because if I had a wet and wavy weave, I needed to mousse it to make it curly, to wet it, some of the edges. Well, if I had braids, well, then I needed something to moisturize the braids and to get to my scalp. And if I have a relaxer, so um, the 
pit, the, the bathroom area just looks ridiculous when you look at the vanity <laughs> and under the sink, you know, it, it's a lot of money. And having said that hair was, it was just always my thing. It was always part of me. Mm -hmm. And in medical school, I kind of decided to take a year off to research because I was told that it would improve my chances of getting into dermatology if I actually conducted research in dermatology because right. I conducted my research prior in cardiology. And I decided I didn't want to be a cardiologist anymore. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I spent a year of research and somebody, you know, I'm looking for a lab and somebody says, you know, we're trying this thing for wound care. And we're seeing all these little things on, on the mice and we're told that they're hair follicles. And I looked at them and I said, yeah, these are all hair follicles. My job's still in medical school. I'm not a, in dermatology yet. She's like, well, we want to classify these hair follicles and see if they're new or if they're actively growing. And if it's this wound care treatment that's actually causing hair growth, because that's something else on the side that would be absolutely wonderful. And they're like, well, there's a hair specialist right across the way. Now, here's the thing about the National Institute of Health. A huge campus, a huge compound. I think every American wonderful if you come to DC and you come visit the NIH because you see your tax dollars at work for research, for healthcare, for everything. It is amazing when mm, you're there. Mm. Well, right across the street was Bethesda Naval, which is now known as Walter Reed. And it's literally across the street. And I cross the street and I'm sitting there and, and this gentleman is teaching me how to classify hairs. And, he's, and he gives me something to count them. He's like, okay, these are your antigens, your actively growing hairs. These are your resting hairs. These are these. So you can count how many are actively growing. And you can tell if this thing is actually causing hairs to grow or the mice molting, et cetera, et cetera. I'm doing this as a second year medical student going on to third year medical student. Mm. I did not know that this is the man who wrote the textbooks that we read on hair at that time. You know, we have a lot of new stuff that has come in, but this was like the hair man and I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when, when people say, how do you get to hair? I said, you know what? I think I was just pre-selected. <laughs> it was predetermined and I, and, yeah, you know, yeah, and I had yeah. to walk the journey to go to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's what happened. And yeah. um, I've never looked back. So what's your superpower? Oh, gosh. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> <laughs> what's my superpower? And I love that you say that because everybody has a superpower. And I want to say that, um, yes, we're going through a pandemic. Yes, there's a lot going on all over the world. There's a lot going on in Afghanistan and Haiti and everywhere. But everyone has a superpower, no matter how dire anything is. It may dim the light on your superpower, but you got to dust that light off that mm. dust that dust off and and get that light um i think my superpower is being able to just dust myself off and start over again and to reinvent myself and i'm grateful for that because we just have to mm. uh, we have to and especially in my field in derm it's highly competitive when you look at hair and the hair care industry and the hair care market now i'm a physician mm. and health care mm is different from the beauty industry. Yep. I had to totally learn about the beauty industry. That's a, I had to learn about the beauty industry and marketing and, and product development and formulation and packaging and branding and all the different things that go yep. with it. Mm. And it was quite an education. And how am I going to differentiate myself? How, how is little old me, how am I going to get out there and make a difference? Mm. You just start and you're true to yourself and um, you do what you know is right. And uh, sometimes we have to compromise um, to get things done, but you don't compromise your integrity and you don't compromise your product. 
I think that's what's important. So my superpower is no matter how glim things may look or how exhausted I am, get back up, do it again. You know, rest if you must, but don't sleep. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, my other question for you is, uh, if you had to write a memoir today, what would it be called and why? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there, that, that's a, there's a lot there. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> that, that's not like choosing, well, which part of me would I write about? It would have a French title and it would start with, with my Haitian heritage. Mm-hmm. It would have to start with my grandparents' parents because there's so much history there. And then ultimately trickle down to me and then what the other generations have to offer and to give and how mm-hmm. they serve. Mm-hmm. And that would be my memoir. So it would have to be Nusom. Uh, Nusom is we are. Mm-hmm. And then um, whatever name that would be. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. I would want it to talk about all the trials, Mm. because when we say, we always say what makes the great great. And if you look at anybody who's had um, any immense success, I think everybody has successes all the time. I don't care if you just crossed off stuff on your to-do list, pass yourself on the back, pass yourself on the back for having crossed off some things off your to-do list. But if you look at those great people who have made so many strides or changed industries or changed the world or who have been disruptors, they did it with a lot of trials, Yep. trials and failures. So my memoir has to go over that. And there are plenty, all the different trials, disappointments mm. and things that have led through me to this point. But what is so wonderful about that is that it made me stronger and smarter and faster and more discerning. So I'm grateful. Fantastic. So where can people find you and where can they enjoy your work? Uh, people can find me a couple of different ways. If you want to be my patient, I'm at uh, www.visagederm. So visage means face in French. V-I-S-A-G-E, D is in David, uh, E-R-M is in Mary.com. Um, and then there's always in office if people want to come see me in my office. And if you just want some of that good old hair and feel good stuff, because Derm Hair Doc, um, that's my um, Instagram address. I'm mm-hmm. at Derm Hair Doc. Uh, it's because I'm a dermatologist. I'm a hair specialist. And yes, dermatologists are doctors. And it's always going to have something motivational, something positive and something to make people feel good. I've always believed in that even before 2020. Everyone who comes into my door has to feel better when they get out. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Charlene, for sharing your story. And I thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends and family. It's free. I'm Kutuanus Kosanarici. And until next time, please do take good care.